As y'all see, I'm recording on YouTube as well for backup. Got all kinds of backup program. Um, all right. Hold on. Um, see something real quick. Um, um, um. Hold on. Make sure I get it right. Okay. I think I got it. Yes, I do have it going. All right. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for tuning in. Thank y'all for watching um, your journey with Andrew Love. And you probably see this also on my podcast too. As well. <clears throat> Hold on real quick, y'all. Get started. Um all right, yep. All right. Just make sure I got everything going on. Yeah, thank you for watching your journey, Andrew Love. Thank you for watching the podcast. You maybe catch us on YouTube, my other channel as well. I have a very, very special guest named Daryl Nichols. He's uh contact with what we call UFOs, aliens, and things of that nature. He's been on other people's platform, many, 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 many platforms. Um, he share and tell his stories on other different platforms as well and i brought him to interview him and get pick his brain uh things about aliens uh the technology uh and it's a little bit of magic <laughs> as well so i don't know how y'all been doing today so i'll thank y'all for tuning in so uh mr Darren nicholas tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into your ufo encounter all right. Well, uh, again, thank you for having me on your on your program here this morning. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, and yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, again, yeah, my name is Daryl. I'm born and raised in Kansas, Leavenworth, Kansas. There's a city there. <laughs> um, I went to school in Missouri, St. Joseph, Missouri, graduated from Missouri Western College, which is where the Stetson factory is, is where I get my Stetson hats Been wearing them since the college days. Um, and I have a degree in uh, business. And then right after graduation, I went into the Army. I was an Army officer uh, right out of college. Actually, I had joined a, a program where I was commissioned as an officer and joined a reserve unit while in college because I was, you know, it helped pay the bills doing those weekend uh, monthly drills. And then by the time I graduated, I was uh, actually promoted to first lieutenant. Uh, you know, I got commissioned as a second lieutenant. And then Two years later, when I graduated, uh, I had enough time and rank, time and service to be promoted to first lieutenant. So uh, I went to Aberdeen, Maryland. Uh, I was a logistics officer, material logistics and supply, and uh, spent uh, nine years with the Army. Uh, amongst other things, I was also, uh, well, I served in Europe, Germany for three years. Uh, I was a company commander and took my unit to, uh, we were selected by the Department of the Army to support an engineering task force in Honduras. And this was at the time when we had the conflict between the Sandinistas and the Contra rebels. And I had a great career. I was also the battalion primary staff officer for, you know, the basically the hub of the operations. I uh, was the, what they called the S23, which is security operations plans and training. So I also had intelligence. I was responsible for classified documents in the military in two separate battalions. 
Fort Riley, Kansas, and again in, in, in Germany. But anyway, then uh, time spiraled on. I, I got out of the service and uh, began serving in my community. I was a trustee in my church, men's choir director. And uh, I was kind of like the pastor's study because I would always go to uh, all of our Bible studies and services. I'd have a stack of Bible references. Uh, I had a pastor that once said, he says, you know, you'd be a fool to just say, accept everything I say just because I said it. And I took that to heart years ago. And so I said, you know, you're pretty, he's right. In matters of your soul and spirituality, you know, I better be double checking. So I, I would go to Bible studies with three to five different references, you know, so I was thorough. Um, now let's kind of backtrack a little. And then I, I went on to become a pastor of a co-pastor of a church in Toledo, Ohio, where I'm living now, and then went on to become pastor of the church. And then I was elevated to the position of a bishop. So it's jurisdictional bishop over, uh, at one point we had 11 different churches. So we provided the, the covering and we seated some other churches too, smaller community churches. Um, so we, we grew and expanded like that. Uh, now, all of that in the backdrop, you know, when I was just about 16 years old, I had, well, even before that, I had a couple experiences with uh, these this U8, UFO, UAP phenomena. Uh, one particularly that I'll share where I, I had an interest, uh, first interest in what this thing was, was in Leavenworth, Kansas. I had just come from visiting my uncle. I had just got my permit. And so I would go visit my great uncle. He was one of the last surviving Buffalo soldiers. He lived in Lansing. Kansas. And on my way home, there was a, it was dusk. And uh, there's a, a major road that runs through Leavenworth, 4th Street, Limit Street. And, and it runs parallel to the Missouri River. So as I'm driving home, I see this bright light through the trees and through the houses as I'm going down the, high, going down the highway. And it said, it's too low to be an airplane, too slow to be an airplane, or even a helicopter, I was thinking, well, what could it be? Just a very, very bright light. And I'm thinking about what is it as I'm driving? And I, you know, this went on for several miles and I could see it, you know, as I'm gazing at it through the through the trees and the houses. So then when I had to turn off and start heading to the west to head home, uh, I couldn't see it anymore. It, was, it would have been behind me as I was driving. But when I got home, I told my parents about it. And then I went outside and I climbed a tree right next to the house just to see if I could still see it. And uh, over a period of the next 40, 45 minutes, I mean, way up in the sky at this point, but it was way, way up there and far away. But it, I, I saw it flew around. And then about another 15 minutes, just this really big arc, you know, is miles away. So the third time that it was coming, I went in the house and I got my father, my mother, my older brother, my sister. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, because I'm just super excited. And so, you know, they came out probably just to humor me. And so as we're standing in front of our house, and uh, in the front of, of our house, actually, it faces the federal penitentiary. You can literally see the dome of the federal Leavenworth penitentiary from our front doorstep. It's maybe three or four miles away. Um, but I looked up to the left, and I remember my dad saying, boy, that's an airplane. And I said, no, not that one, that one. And there it was. And it flew around, except this time it changed its pattern. When it got directly north of us, between us and the federal penitentiary, basically, it dropped in elevation and it just came straight at us. It was maybe, maybe 200 feet in the air and maybe flying at maybe five miles an hour. 
Uh, my mother, as it was coming, she ran into the house to go get, you know, back in this day, this is, uh, you know, the late 70s your mid seventies, you know, she went to get a camera and, you know, we had these Instamatics that you had to put a flash on. She went and grabbed the camera and the flash out of the hutch and she's standing out there in the yard. She's fumbling, trying to get the flash on. She couldn't even get it on. And we just watched it. And it got behind us and it just shot off. Uh, my father called the police, filed a, a report. The police came out to our house. They had him sit out in the squad car and write a police report. And then they asked me to provide a drawing of what I'd seen. And the next day it was front page in the papers in Leavenworth Times, you know, UFO or people. There were other people who had seen it. Um, we probably, had, from what I could see, we had the closest encounter that I could see from the, the accounts in the newspapers. But anyway, so that began a, just another level of fascination with, okay, what was that? Man, you know, 200 Fort feet. Leavenworth. Pardon 200, me? 200 feet ain't far. No, that, like, no. like right up in your face, just about. That's <laughs> <laughs> not far. Yeah. That like yeah, right was, up in your face. I mean, y'all just standing there, right, right in front of y'all, like headlight. Yeah, you just you could not deny it, you know. And and if you know, in that particular case, because I had family members with me, you know, and, and over the years, you know, we would call and I would talk and says, "Did that really happen? Do y'all remember?" You know, because it's like pinching yourself, you know. And you know, even recently, you know, I have to ask them because it affected me, it had a profound effect on me. And I'm like, I don't know why y'all ain't excited about it as I am, because y'all saw it too, you know. But for me, it began this fascination, and I went out and I bought uh, Eric Van Donick and had just come out with this book, The Chariots of the Gods then. And so I said, well, let me go see what's in there. What's up with these things? And so that began that that curiosity, you know, where I've been kind of looking at um, alternative narratives to, just to understand what this was, you know. And I'd had a few other um, experiences, nothing really, well, maybe not quite that dramatic where I had witnesses and I have other things that I've seen, you know, even to this day, you know, I've got some military grade night vision goggles. And over the last 10, 15 years, it's nothing for me to get out. If the weather is nice, I'll go outside and uh, I've got video footage, but, you know, I've got it set up so I can mount an iPhone. It's the, the like binocular lenses. There's two of them, but I mount an iPhone on one of the lenses. So I can record the strange phenomena that you can only see with night vision. Oh, wow. And I've seen some amazing things, you know, that, that I just can't explain. Are they you know, all, they, are the things you record on night vision are all space related or are they like spirits as well? You know, sometimes you just, uh, the cameras can pick up. We can't see what our eyes did, uh, like, you know, like spirit things or they, you think they're just all alien stuff. I ain't gonna say alien, well, alien stuff, or you think they're like spiritual, spiritual things too, that you had picked up on camera. Or You know, I've seen orbs. Yeah. You know, people talk about the orb, just this, this, this ball of something, the little translucent. I don't know what, you know, what an orb is. Um, and I've been in cemeteries and I've seen orbs, you know, and I've got recordings that I did that I didn't see anything through my night vision. But when I go back and replay it on my computer, boom, there it is. I don't know if there's spirit. I don't know. I don't really know what these things are. Um, you know, even some of the other phenomena that I've seen. Um, you know, sometimes you see a satellite moving across the sky, you see other things moving, you know, they call them fast walkers, you know, but there's other times where like in a span of 15 minutes, or uh, I'll see, you know, typically probably 80% of the time, I will see something in a few minutes. Right. But then there's other nights where it seems like a lot of traffic going on up there. And within like 10 or 15 minutes, I'll see 20 different objects, one going this way, one going this way, maybe two or three following each other going that way. Sometimes just a big milky disc, just like pulsating going through. 
And then sometimes it's like whatever is in there that they kind of know that you're watching it. It'll just give off these intermittent flash bursts of light. And then every once in a while you get really lucky, you'll see something going this way and it'll just change directions, you know, two or three times. Well, you know, satellites don't do that. So you see, I see some interesting things. It's at the point now where um, you just say it's just what's so. You know, I, I don't share, I mean, I take those and, uh, you know, family members and friends that come over right. and sometimes I'll go to workshops and seminars and I'll take my night vision so other people can kind of see what they are because they're kind of pricey. You know, these night vision goggles, yeah. you know, new are like $3,000. Yeah. Um, I bought them used on eBay years ago, but they're military grade. They're good stuff. But it's to see the things that are happening that are just beyond our normal range of perception. It's just It's just another... Uh, makes another fascinating layer of when you see it, you just can't dismiss it. Right. Not for me, just my, my family for the most of it. Yeah. They can dismiss what we saw, you know, back there in 1976, but for me, it just had a profound effect on me and it just uh, deepened my curiosity. So kind of in a nutshell, that's kind of like where I've got into that space with this curiosity of a phenomenon that's happening around us that you don't, you know, up until, well, up until last year, for example, you know, there it was the uh, first UFO Congress congressional hearings on uh, aerial phenomena that we've had since Roswell's in, in 50 years. So now is there's more conversation about it. And uh, I think governments and agencies, at least in, in, in other countries as well, are being a little bit more forthright in saying, yeah, there's something going on and we don't know exactly what it is. So it is interesting. That now for in half a century, that it was just last year, that now even our Congress is holding hearings and talking to people from a lot of these agencies saying, okay, what is that, you know, and what does that mean for, for us as a, as a humanity? You know, are there uh, other things that we don't understand or these other countries that have, or even us, you know, do we have technology that we're keeping from the common people, everyday people? And then, or, you know, are we being visited? Okay. <clears throat> Let's fast forward now, since all the stuff you've been through, uh, all your witnesses, uh, what things that, um, far as UFO, what have you grown to understand or believe far as the encounters that we've been having, uh, far as the technology or the beings that may be operating these machines? You know, I, I I can't say that I I definitively have cornered the market on it. Um, I, I I've been around a lot of other people who have been in this similar space that I am, and some people that have experiences a lot more um, profound than mine. I would conclude, I guess maybe at this point, if I had to put a summary around it and put it in a sentence with a period at the end of it, is that. Uh, you know, we we live in a very, very interesting time in a very interesting space. And whether now if we're talking about extraterrestrial, uh, I've expanded that now to maybe maybe there, there are, are other levels or other dimensions that coexist with us. Um, there could have been advanced civilizations that simply may be us that are just traveling 
through space, uh, seeded from other places. And it could be even advanced civilizations that have mastered technology that just to here live up among us, but just don't interact with us. They're not alien necessarily, but maybe they're just an advanced civilization that have technology that maybe, maybe they do come from the inner earth. You know, um, the Dogon tribe in Mali, West Africa, you know, they say that they've got a history of the knowledge and awareness of a species of being um, that lives in caves there for the last 80,000 years. And that's just traditional knowledge among them. And, I, you know, it's in, in actually it's in writing, carved in stone. How do you explain a lot of these petroglyphs that we find uh, around the planet of these odd looking beings? Or even some of the petroglyphs that is carved into some of the pyramids of craft and tanks of objects that, you know, they certainly, uh, at least to the best of our knowledge, they didn't exist five, 10,000 years ago. But nonetheless, here these images are carved in stone on pyramids. You know, so did people, were they just using creative enterprise and just making stuff up? Or are they at the chiseling things that they saw? So I would suspect that there's there's a lot going on that we're just not cognizant of. And there's a lot that has gone on that's lost in our antiquity and lost in history. And we're just now discovering maybe what they were and finding the right language and the right science, and the right philosophy to try to explain or express it. So it's a strange universe. You know, one thing that I did learn from um, some of my comedic friends, um, is that he said that the existence, the existence um, does not really give us answers, but it does give us different methods of investigating itself. You know, and for me, that's that's been one of the more intriguing aspects of life for me has been, you know, being on this journey and doing the investigation and asking questions, having dialogue with people like yourself, saying, okay, uh, let, let's wrestle with this together and see see what we can what we can discover or rediscover. Can you still hear me okay? Oh, I hear you perfectly. I'll just listen. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking it in. Uh, so, um, so what other uh, people that you have uh, spoken to, what information or uh, people who had different encounters uh, that you may, that you have met, uh, they can share some information that you have learned from other people who have uh, different encounters. Uh, I know you mentioned Jordan Maxwell. Um, I know he's seen a lot and done a lot. What if what are things have you learned from him that you can that you can share? Well, Jordan Maxwell, you know, several years ago, I mentioned uh, earlier before we went on that uh, I had my uh, radio show on True Cat Radio, and I had a chance to meet Jordan Maxwell. I've met him several times, and when we go to Los Angeles to the Conscious Life Expos, and uh, develop a bit of a relationship. And uh, he would come to, uh, I'd have little private parties. And he actually, he had come to one and he he had us captivated, talking for hours. But I had him on my show a couple of times. Um, and then, of course, we've had conversations behind the scenes, just, you know, uh, just just chatting it up when I could talk to him. And, you know, he's gone now. But, you know, he was really, really keen on revealing, I think he's one of the godfathers of disclosure uh, in terms of just revealing secret societies and uh, how some of these things are hidden right there in front of our faces. You know, he was the first one that it really kind of exposed like the Vatican connection and some of this lost knowledge that's not really lost, it's just hidden. And some of it's openly suppressed. And then how some of the symb symbology plays out in the culture that is right there in your face, but 
if you're not conscious or if you're not, I guess the term today is woke, you know, people just don't pick it up and it's right in your face. And it's one of these games that the um, it, it said that the Illuminati, the Bilderbergers, these private um, secret societies play is they have to present it and put it right in your face. And if you don't get it, it's just your fault. You got whatever's coming to you, but it's almost like ritualistic from Jordan Maxwell's perspective, not just him. You know, I met with Bob Dean, talked person with Bob Dean and, you know, David Wilcock and others will tell you, yeah, yeah, that's just part of the game. Even to the point that, you know, it's alleged that sometimes they will write these plots for movies and then present the script to one of the flunkies in Hollywood and say, yeah, here, go put this out in front of them. And then there it is. And I, we, we think we're just being entertained. But what they're doing is, is they say, yeah, all right, well, we're, we're going to put this out there and, and the sheep won't get it, you know, but we're going to tell them what's happening. If they fall for it, then they got what's coming to them. And that was, that was kind of some of the knowledge that I think that people like Bob Dean from that Vanguard and, and uh, Jordan Maxwell and others, uh, David Icke, you know, that they have been saying for decades. And as time rolls on, we look back and see what they've said. and when you go back to to look at the comparison of how credible were they, you would you would have to surmise that they are highly credible. And so, and if that were true, then what else is there that is true? And so that kind of began that quest. And so I had also met a very good friend of mine. Now I had heard about um going back, uh, well, just going back in history, just trying to understand what is in these sacred texts in my theology. Uh, but I had heard about a speaker that was going to be speaking uh, in California who was initiated into the mystery schools of the Dogon tribe of Mali, West Africa. And a lot of people may not, if you're not aware of the Dogon tribe, uh, they've just got a very, very interesting phenomena um, point in history that really was a line of demarcation for me in terms of lost ancient knowledge. But um, I went to go hear him speak. And he was also on the same platform with another uh, woman who represented a lot of the indigenous peoples, particularly with the Hopi uh, nation. So I said, well, that was an interesting perspective, but I'm looking at reality. I'm looking at history and civilization through the lens of uh, indigenous people's perspective. So from the Hopi perspective, just to understand what they say, and I'm where they were talking about Hopi prophecies. And she was also working with some other people, but she was also knitting together with the Hopi and the Dogon and just kind of bringing these two cultures together. And we had a platform when they were speaking. And one of the other people speaking was the, the son of a very high level Dogon priest. And the significance of the Dogon was, you know, there was a French anthropologist named Marcus Greul who would go to Africa. And he, he did this over a period of a few decades. And he developed a relationship with... Um, a lot of the, the people in the Dogon tribe to include one of the, uh, you know, some of the high level priests of the Dogon priesthood. And he shared information and he published them in his autobiographies. And this was in the 50s. Um, matter of fact, they revered him so much as a friend that he when he was when he passed on, he went back and he was buried in Mali, West Africa. They had the services over there with him. But during his lifetime, when he published some of his autobiographies, he was talking about how the Dogon were talking about, for example, that in antiquity, you know, where we got a lot of our information from, they said that uh, there was a, a race of people called the Nomos, 
who came and taught them civilization, that taught them agriculture, that taught them the sciences, mathematics. Uh, and he said that the nomos came from Sirius, uh, the Sirius star system, which is 50 light years away. Now, this is what the Dogon were telling Marcus Grail. And he said, not only that, but they told us, told them about how that constellation or that that um, system was organized. And he said that, well, there's Sirius A, but he says it's a, you know, the Dogon sister said it's a binary solar system, that there are two suns. Now, at this point, science, it, it, nobody had entertained the idea of a binary solar system, two suns. But the Dogon, he was saying this, and he's got it written in his, in his uh, autobiography that they said that not only is it a binary solar system, there are two suns, Sirius A and Sirius B, what we know now, but he said there's another small body planet in the middle that holds those two together. And he says, this, it, and they called it Poe, which means the tiniest little thing, trying to describe how small, you know, they were told that this other body is. But in their vernacular, they said, but it is so heavy that all the men on the planet couldn't hold it up, even though it's small. So just an interesting footnote there that was in Marcus Grail's um, writings in his autobiography. Now you fast forward into like the mid late seventies when NASA finally we got satellites. Well, what did we find out? When NASA trained their satellites on Sirius star system, they found out that there were perturbations in that in that big bright star that you see, the brightest when you see at night. That there had to be another body acting on it. NASA discovered. Well, shoot. It's a binary solar system. And then they studied it some more, and there were still some perturbations and some movements that they couldn't account for. Fancy word for perturbations, movement. But they discovered that there was another uh, star that had to been holding those two together. But they said it had been so small and so dense that in our vernacular, they said that one tablespoon of Sirius C would be so dense that one tablespoon would weigh 14 tons. Ooh. The Dogon saying it's so heavy, all the men on the planet couldn't pick it up. Poe, the tiniest little thing. So now people began to look and says, okay, now, there was, you know, NASA said this. Marcus Grail was writing this about these Dogon. What else did they say? So that's when people began to take it kind of serious. <laughs> serious, serious star system. It's serious business. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, so then I began doing some more research in the Dogon, you know, and... Um, my friend, he's actually, he was initiated into the Dogon tradition. But this is, uh, you know, the, I think the prince looks backwards. But this is one of the books he published called the Dogon, it's called the Philosophy Podium, where Master Nava, a very, very high-level Dogon priest, it put some of their spiritual teachings, you know, the Dogon perspective by uh, Neb Nasa Lamusa Morodimbig, the Philosophy Podium. And yeah. a lot of that is his wisdom he put in here. Now, the significance of the Dogon, was, you know, during the pharaonic period when we had all of these pharaohs in antiquity, you know, every pharaoh had a priest. And the priests were from the Dogon. They were the Dogon. And what the Dogon would do is they take little boys with the ages of, I think, seven to nine years old. And for the ones that are destined to come and learn something in the priesthood and to serve as priests, they would begin to discern who they were and identify them. And once they identified those ones that were, then they would spend about the next 20, 30 years learning that specific craft. So there could be a Dogons that are trained and initiated into everything that's related to maybe eye and healthcare, or maybe to the kidneys or your gallbladder or, or to your lungs. Other ones preside over the knowledge of working with plants and herbs. 
And then there's other ones who maybe um, do earth readings, what they call the Bayouali, or how energy channels work, or cosmology and cosmogony. And Master Naba was adept at several different disciplines. Um, but what happened is, is now when uh, the uh, all of our Kemetic or Egyptian empires fell, you know, the pharaohs said, well, let these fools take what they think is precious. You know, let them have the gold. Let them take the rubies and the diamonds. But they said, take that which is most precious and keep it from them. And that was a knowledge. So 2,500 years ago, they scattered all of the priests into the interior of Africa. And over the last 2,500 years, we didn't have access to that knowledge that these priests had. But what we didn't know was they were still holding these initiations. They were scattered everywhere, but they continued to hold these initiation ceremonies and pass that information on from generation to generation. They just did it in secrecy as they scattered throughout the world now. And so it was not until Master Nava came about 20, 25 years ago, and he reintroduced us into that lost initiatic knowledge. So having said that, so when they write or when he writes, uh, and shares information, and they opened up five centers, five earth centers, where they teach this lost comedic traditional knowledge. Uh, I was so compelled that I had to go visit them. I had to go visit three of them for myself to see, is this real? And what are they, what, and what are they teaching? What do they know? So I went to the earth center in, uh, I went to the one in Los Angeles first, and I went to one in Chicago, and then I went to another one in San Diego. It says, it's the real McCoy. So, uh, so now I'm, I'm absorbing information from a, a standpoint of I'm going back in time. I'm going back to 2,500 years of lost information and spiritual systems and knowledge and ways of being from a traditional people's perspective, as opposed to the Western culture that we're all indoctrinated in. Yeah. And then I'm also enriching that because I'm also kind of exploring what's going on with the, the Mayan and what's it all about with the Mayan calendar. So I develop relationships with a person who makes, you know, comes from a tradition where he makes the daggum mind calendar, him and his people do. They can, and uh, between him and, anyway, <laughs> that was early on and part of my journey of, okay, what does all this mean? And right. then how does that relate in context to my spiritual development? And, you know, what am I as a human being? And what does this mean for humanity? And, you know, what is it that I'm misunderstanding? And in some cases, how do you even reconcile? you know what i've been taught versus now what i'm learning right so okay. that has got a part now uh with the information gathered between <clears throat> the ufos the alien um and all this the secret society information you think all these connected and how in your opinion I wouldn't say that they're all connected. I mean, there are some loose, well, well, they, they, and some of it is, and then some of it is yet to be uh, explained mm -hmm. to see, you know, explore what those connections are. You know, early on in, you know, when I began my traveling, um, it, it took me, I mean, I was going places and I was visiting people um, and I didn't really, I didn't understand why. And sometimes I would ask myself, well, why am I here? You know, why am I, uh, you know, going to these workshops? Uh, where am I, you know, I mean, learning how to read Akashic records. Um, 
you know, it was bizarre. And I found myself, I was a reader for Teresa Caputo on her Facebook fan page, you know, fans of the long audio medium. I had a friend who was the administrator, but I found myself with an ability to do that. So how do you explain that? How can, how can you read an Akashic record? It, I guess biblically, you would call it the book of life. But how do you access information in a place you can travel to without physically going there? You know, but I found you can do that. People can astral project. You can move objects with your mind. You know, you can do remote healing. You know, uh, as a Reiki practitioner, I, I learned the phenomenon that you can do healing. Um, those things are possible. And then you look at the way that culture and society, uh, uh, let alone from an individual perspective, what a human being is actually capable of doing. You know, kind of stepping outside mainstream box and from being an ordinary person, when you find out you have extraordinary abilities, where do they come from? You know, and several years ago, I liked the way that there was a gentleman named George Green who produced a video um, called The Big Secret. No, no, uh, not The Big Secret. Maybe it was. Maybe it was The Big Secret. But at any rate, he said that he was in contact with uh, a group of uh, travelers from the Pleiadian star system, Pleiadians. And uh, he said that in conversations with a Pleiadian commander, allegedly, but he said that, you know, he described that this is the best show in this quadrant of the galaxy. That's the way that he said it. <laughs> and he said that the Pleiadians look upon us as royalty. And he said that you people, you don't know how unique and special you are. He said, apparently that we're, we are a created species that's a little bit, a lot different than a lot of the majority of other created species and that we have a spark of divinity in us that other created beings don't have. And he said that according to, to George Green, you know, he says that they're coming from galaxies around just to see what's going on, you know, on this little blue marble, because you got to check these people out, man. Look at them. You know, and it's like being on a planet of Superman and Superwomen, you know, everybody's a Clark Kent or a Superwoman, but we don't know how unique we are. But people from other places come and look at us and says, man, look at them. But then at the same token, he says, it's how sad it is because they look at how we treat each other. Because we don't know how special we are, how unique we are, you know, all of the atrocities we commit. And they say, how could, you know, if they only knew. You know, they 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 said that they marvel at us, that they uh, they were kind of like the envy. Um, but at the same token, because of our ignorance, um, we don't know just how unique we are as a created being created in the image of God or this spark of divinity. Whatever that distinction is, that even advanced civilizations or so uh, even if space travel and interdimensional travel is possible, that they're coming here to visit us. Yeah, we got it going on. We just don't know it. Yeah, it got to be something for a lot of people to come see us. Uh, well, a lot of, apparently something something with us, you probably live with us on this planet, which I have no doubt there is a uh, species that's living amongst us on this planet. I have no doubt about that. Um, some people call the watchers, all kinds of names. Then I'm pretty sure yeah. you got beings from other plants that come here too to visit. Uh, probably sure why they abducting people, maybe studying, I don't know. <laughs> oh, by the way it was called the big yeah it was called the uh the big picture by george green if you get a chance to see it or any listeners 
it's it's still a great it's like maybe it's a bit dated it's maybe 15 years ago but it's it's still pretty interesting and what's interesting about him is because george green also you know part of his he came he was an investment banker but he was one of the people who sat in he was part of one of these secret societies that -hmm. would play these games on people you know and he talked about him being an insider he's one of the earlier whistleblowers that i saw come forward and he just kind of came out and he said here's what's going on you know and so and he was also really connected with billy meyer and that was one of the first people i researched in terms of this this ufo phenomenon and the billy meyer story is pretty compelling he was uh probably one of the first credible people other than the Betty Barney Hill story of an abduction. But Mm -hmm. Billy Meyer had all of these videos and pictures of phenomena. And he's a, he's a one-armed guy lives in Switzerland, but he would, he'd had the most amazing footage and these amazing encounters that he, he, you know, people would travel and go and spend some time out on his ranch. And at the time, Shirley MacLaine and some other like Hollywood type people would go out there and see what's going on with Billy Meyer and these UFOs and these aliens that he said he's, you know, that are sharing information with him. So George Green, you know, he, he'd spent quite a bit of time going out there and, and, and speaking with Billy Meyer and learning what he could, but allegedly that, you know, Billy Meyer, I think he compromised himself a little bit later in life with some of his photography, but it's still a, just a compelling <coughs> story of the unexplained and, uh, I mean, he's got not just pictures, still pictures, but he's got video footage of these craft moving around. And he would go, they would talk to him. And he said he's actually had conversations with some of these beings. It's been an ongoing dialogue with Billy Meyer for 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah, it's called The Big Picture uh, Film. Yeah, The Big Picture. It's not a movie. It's it's an interview that he did. Uh, I think he was being interviewed by Kerry Cassidy on Project Camelot. But it's called the big picture, George Green. The big picture interview. Yes. Okay, hold on. Let's see. I thought it was a film. So hold on. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is George Green. George Green. Spell name like the regular George. Yes. G e o r g e. Green, okay. G-R-E-E-N. Okay. Okay. So in my early years, and I did, I I, I spent quite a bit of time, I think, over time, I, like I say, and I was, uh, it was, took about three years before I looked back over what I had been doing before those things even began to line up where it just made sense. They looked like random things. You know, I was just really all over the board. I'd stepped out of the pulpit, um, just the way things just kind of cascaded together. So I stepped out of the pulpit and um, I said, I just did a, I just need to put my life on pause. I just had a lot of things going on, marriage, work, life, and uh, and then reconciling this difference between my theology and what I'm learning and then the places that I'm going. I was kind of feeling like uh, I just wasn't focused. Right. Um, so I did. I, I just checked out and I didn't, you know, I always work full time. There wasn't a time where I didn't work, even in ministry. And but I never even took a salary as a minister. I said, you know, because uh, my my congregation church needed more money than I did. And uh, since I always worked, you know, I just didn't feel comfortable, not for me, uh, as far as taking a salary. So that was all volunteer, uh, basically. But I was faithful and diligent with it. So but when I stepped out, uh, I didn't work 
I uh, resigned from my job. And ultimately, I ended up just taking 11 months off. And in 11 months off, I, you know, I thought I was going to write a book. That was my intention. I'm just going to check out and I'm going to focus on. I was a diversity practitioner as well. So I had a business. We're doing consulting on racism and sexism and all of the isms. And I said, well, it'd be a good time for me to just get my book done. But I, I didn't. I ended up doing more traveling and getting exposed to all these other things. And then uh, went back to work later after 11 months. But I still continued, you know, exploring these other connections I was kind of being led and guided to. But it was after three years that I could look back and says, you know, now, you know, after three years, I could look back and say, you know, everything lined up. They were random and sporadic. But after three years, it's kind of like, OK, now I, I had enough that I put in perspective. It says now it all makes sense. It, it, it took three years on that journey before. It's OK, now I, I think I know what I'm doing. So that was pretty interesting, but it had led me to, um, you know, people like Jordan Maxwell, like Sophia Stewart from The Matrix, uh, personal yeah. conversations with Bob Dean and the Good Old Boy Network. And, you know, I could drop some, a, a lot of names. Yes. Uh, Stuart, yeah, I got caught hugging inside. She's been doing. <laughs> Sophia Stewart. She uh, yeah. she's a good friend of mine. She lady that's like a title to a Bible, <laughs> so to speak. She got a lot of information. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, she does. Right. I talked to her about two weeks ago. I had her on my show maybe five times. Matter of fact, I went to went to Vegas to see her visit her twice now. Mm. Um, and she, yeah, you're right. She is a bit of an oracle and quite accessible. But uh, uh, you ready? Yeah, yeah. She has a very good heart. She really does. <laughs> yes, yeah, she, yeah, she does. Let me ask you a question now. Let's uh, dig into. I remember you were talking about the ability. I I call it magic. You call it telekinesis or whatever to be able to move objects with your mind. Uh, to me, it's a form of magic. Um, how were you able? I know you was telling to explain to the audience how were you able to get in tight into that and how long it take you to develop certain things and you know what type of things were you able to do? Well, I began doing that in college actually. Uh, I was in the library one day and I found a book called e e ESP Experiments That You Can Do. And I said, well, that's kind of weird, but what the heck? I had some time. So I picked it up and they just one of the quick, I just thumbed through the book and I said, well, you know, this is something I can do right here. And they said, basically, if you want to practice moving something with your mind, just, you know, take a, you know, I had like get a glass of water, whatever, put a cork in it with a pen and then take a piece of paper and square it into, you know, fold it into basically the shape of a pyramid, mm. four-sided. And just focus and concentrate. So that's what I did. I I got two books and propped them together and I put a pencil in the middle and I folded up a piece of paper and I'm sitting there, you know, trying to move it. <laughs> but it, anyway, so I, I kept on in time. So uh, uh, I would get up late at uh, night and call it early in the morning, like, you know, after I'm studying all day or come home from work in college, uh, I'd get up like a, over a period of time, like at three, three o'clock in the morning was the best time for me. And I just kept practicing and practicing until it got to the point where I could take that object and I could spin it when I was really good. I could spin it like 32 times. I could spin it and stop it and then make it spin back the other way. Yeah, I even put a glass on top of it just to make sure it's just my, that I'm not breathing on it, whatever. But you know, I look about earned a bit, bit about energy fields and consciousness and intention. But I began that was back in college, um, my 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 maybe my junior senior year in college. I began experimenting with that, and then I began to do. Then after that, that led to practicing astral projection, 
you know, out of body uh, things. And I found that you, I could do that. Um, and I had shared on some previous interviews with others that, you know, that was all cool. And I'm just experimenting. And I'm just looking at, uh, you know, I'm just 20 years old at that at that point. But just how cool it is to be able to do this stuff. And what else can we do? And uh, I used to astral project and go visit on people just to go see, you know, did I really see something and, you know, get a letter back or get a phone call of confirmation about what I saw? Because I could I could go, but I couldn't interact. I could observe things, but, you know, you wouldn't know that I was there. You know, just, just the way it worked for me. I couldn't physically be present. But then I, I had some other experiences. I had people come back and confirm exactly what I, what I saw. And then I had some other experiences that got a little bit more difficult to explain. And I met things out there that, um, you know, I, I, I didn't have a frame of reference for. And then I had a few other experiences where, uh, you know, even, even biblically, you know, when the scriptures talk about Paul, you know, he, when he says that he had this vision, he says, whether where I'm there in the flesh or not, I do not know. Uh, you know, he's kind of describing what I would call it like that. It's that out of body experience where you were there and it was so real. But, you know, you, you physically your body was here, but you had this experience and just, you know, and, you, and it's you just don't know how to express that when you says it happened. You know, it's more than just a dream or was it just a dream? You know, or is there another dimension? Um, or is it possible that your consciousness can actually do things? Now, here years later, now we, we know that the governments, for example, uh, they have a remote viewing department. The whole movie, Men Who Stare at Goats, is what it's about. And it's declassified. A lot of information has been declassified that the government trains people and CIA agents to do remote viewing and astral projection. So, and, and the science and the history are, are, are all out there about it. Uh, so it just lends more credibility in, ten, in terms of, okay, what is a human being capable of doing? And if you're looking for validation, more than just simple conversations, because when you say this stuff to people, they look at you, yeah, 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 Daryl's crazy. They don't know what kind of bag to put. And so you, you, you're struggling. And I met a lot of other people that are looking for validation. You know, I, you can't tell people about it if you don't have receipts and you just sound like a nut, you know, but when you say, well, shoot, here's some declassified documents from the CIA. Here's from the FBI. Uh, Project Fruit mentioned was real. Um, Operation whatever was real. Operation Paperclip was real. These are declassified government documents. And so it's not until you bring some level of credibility that people really kind of stop looking at you like he's just like you're a whack job. And so it's that struggle with a lot of people. It's like, yeah, you kind of keep that to yourself. You don't talk about it in public because you don't have receipts. But when you can talk to other people like, you know, David Wilcock was a really good one. Uh, you know, he helped me understand some things that I had seen. And even with Sophia Stewart, she sent me some information that she got from Department of Homeland Security. It's another classified document she had access to that kind of makes you feel, yeah, yeah, okay, that's what it is. And now I can produce documents to tell you, yeah, well, the government's been doing it. You know, and they got all these other people that they experimented with doing psychic experiments with. And they do remote viewing. And they got the results of, you know, the lab people that they work with. And so, you know, it's kind of like those are points 
in the journey for me where you you can say, okay, yeah, I can I, now I can take that and it was like penciled in, but now I can put ink there, saying, yeah, there's that, and I understand the process now, and I've got evidence that it's possible, and that even government agencies have been doing it, you know, and, and you know this it, it, if it becomes important to maintain your own credibility or even uh, your own sense of sanity to know that it's not just you, that it's a phenomena that exists and uh, other people have been exploring it. So, you know, I've read a lot of people and I've got a lot of emails and phone calls from people that are saying, you know, me too, me too. Uh, I have a question. Now, yes. for, your, for your out-of-body experience, what is the, the scribe? Tell me something that you experienced from out-of-body experience that, um, that was uh, very revealing to your shock and something uh, that you experienced that you probably couldn't understand, but I want you to uh, explain it to me. I, I, I know it might be a little difficult, but I want you to go for it anyway. Well, I, I gained a different level of respect for uh, the ability to astral travel or astral project you know, I mean, I was successful at doing it to a small degree and then even to larger degrees. And the more successful I was, it would it just lead me to, you know, I just, I just want to do some more. Let me just go check on this friend who's like, you know, 1,300 miles away. And it worked, you know, and I would get confirmation about what I saw to the point that you almost, I was a little bit cocky about it. So, you know, I did my little exercise, you know, and I never did it without having a Bible typically at the time, just because there was things I didn't really understand but i was you know i would meditate and i had this exercise where i would go into this state where i could you know take my 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 energy and i with me it was like sending out a silver coil like a silver string of energy and all i had to do was think about the person or the place and i would just send this arc energy up and once i got it out there it would just go find it i didn't it didn't take any more effort than that and in an instant you know i could be there and i could see and observe but there was one time um, where I did that because I was really, you know, yeah, I thought I was like, you know, the cat's ass. I said, yeah, let me just go. Let me just check in on so-and-so, you know, kind of <laughs> cocky about it. But I had my, I shot my arc out there and somewhere out there in space, there was some force that kind of like came between where I was intending to go and where my physical body was laying. And it's just like, it just cut it off. And, and this energy, this force, it's, it's like it's coming back at me. And, uh, you know, I ne that had never happened before. And so as I'm looking at this happening in my body as I'm laying in the bed and I'm someplace else, miles and miles away, I'm on my way to Washington State from Missouri, you know, so my, my arc energy is somewhere out there somewhere. But this thing started coming back and I'm like, what is this? And it's just started coming back pushing me back and and now i'm losing ground it's like you know i'm thinking i'm cocky said well i don't know what you are i don't know wh who you are what you are but you know you can't beat me you know i'm yeah yeah i'm just like i, I think i'm just gonna blow past whatever you are you know but I, I kept losing ground and then next thing you know it's it's cascading it's coming in faster and faster and then i kind of said well, shoot what is this and it kind of occurred to me that this is like some type of a I don't know what it's going to be like a, a possession. I don't know uh, if an invasion. I don't know what it was, but it scared me and I'm losing ground. And so I just knew it didn't feel good. 
and I knew it was not going to be good for me. But I found out I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't beat it. I couldn't push it back. So at the time, I, you know, I said the only thing that I, you know, I'm that I could. I said, what, what am I going to do? I'm just leaning here and says, man, I'm, I'm about to be possessed or something. I don't know. But I remember I said just one scripture. Thank God for my mother for raising me in, in churches. And but I says, I says, okay. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you be gone. And like that, it was over. Like that. So I came to my senses and I'm thinking, I sat up in the bed, so what was that? And that's when I decided, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that's a lot better than me. And I said, I'm a little bit too light in the butt to be playing around on this playground. You know, I says, I, and I didn't go back. I didn't try it anymore because I said, there's a lot I don't know. And you can get hurt. You can get trapped out there. It says, until I understand what that was and how to protect myself. I didn't do any more astral projections or astral travel for probably eight months, you know, but that was probably the most frightening thing that uh, I experienced. And it was eight months later, but, you know, when I discovered says, well, if nothing else, I, I did find that there was something I could say that apparently whatever any of these beings there are in these other dimensions, they respected. And I found enough people that had to had similar confirmations and experiences and i started looking at okay how do exorcisms work you know if that's what that was you know who's commanding demons or these demonic entities or entities and energies so it wasn't until i was really really comfortable that says okay i i, I i'm not the biggest heavy <clears throat> on the playground, but at least i i felt comfortable that okay i needed to guard my intention i had to contain my spiritual arrogance basically because I was really cocky about it at the time. And uh, that humbled me to realize that that's how, that's how possessions happen. When you right. leave yourself open and you don't know what you're messing with. And, and since then, I've had other friends who, who, who were out there on that playground. I had two, two friends that actually over the years got stuck. They got caught out there. You know, and they called on me and I, I I had to go into that space, into that dimension and help get them out. You know, and in both cases, I was, I guess this happened now three times. But, you know, you you have to go into those spaces with a degree of humility. Um, and you have to be, you have to be equipped. It's not, it's not a place that I would tell people to go uh, unprepared. Because a, a few of my friends did. Uh, and in two two of those cases, it was because they were like me initially. They just had a little bit of a arrogance about it, and you start playing around in that domain. There are I would like the scriptures tell us, you know, uh, our battle's not against the flesh, but uh, but powers, principalities, and spiritual wickedness in high places. And I'd have to say that there those things exist, and uh, you need to be prepared or equipped, or you better know somebody that knows how to go in and. Uh, and bring you back out yeah or, or get you just uh, safe yeah i just think there's a um, what kind of spirituality humility is everything everything you do yeah. you must do it out of love and respect uh for what we're doing because i think uh i think everything has a has a limit to when you how far you can go based on your uh your intentions <laughs> you know what i'm saying 
I don't think uh, anything we do, we should do it out of of of, of bad of intention, unless it's good intention. Yeah, well, you know, uh, pride ego is a great fall for everybody, no matter how good you are or how good you think you are. And I don't think that's I just apply to anybody. That apply to everybody. There's a certain thing that you must respect, even going across the um, other plane. That's my opinion. For to getting things that we need, you know, what's our motive of doing what we're doing? You know, saying. <laughs> uh, and well, I think, you're absolutely right. You know, yeah. just to go because you can go. You know, and you're going to hear me. I'm still a mixed bag because I'm, you know, still holding this idea of, you know, what is life and what are these other aspects of existence that we're experiencing but then with my spiritual foundation so it's it's not going to be uncommon to hear me quoting scriptures as well as or the wisdom of these texts right as relate to the phenomenon that we're experiencing as i put it in my vernacular to really kind of explain it so i i would say just like you know is written in in the sacred text that all things are possible but not all things are possible yeah and, and i agree I agree. Uh, I agree. I agree. Everything like just like saying everything just because you can do it. I mean, it benefits you or something like that. Or it means the right thing to do just because we can do something. A lot, of, you know, a lot of things we do, but what's the reason of, of, of doing it? Is it going to improve our lives? Is it going to make us better? Is to help somebody? Is to you know what's the intention behind everything we do? You know, yeah. so like, like I said, we might not know everything. And it's not in, the question is, is it important to know everything or just need the things that are going to make your life better? There you go. You know, uh, knowing there, you know, like some things, like well, the people do is they business ain't my business to know <laughs> what it is that they doing. If it doesn't uh, apply to me, or affect me. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, from my my comedic friend would tell me, you know, because he'd always ask me, he said, "Elder, you know, what is it about these UFOs and aliens that get you so fascinated about?" You know, and he was trained by Master Nava, right? And so he had always cautioned me. You know, you have to be careful because so oftentimes it can be, you can be so fascinated that it actually just becomes a distraction. Right. And he would say that, you know, again, the other reality it is as fascinating as that is and so much to be discovered or rediscovered. But then again, the comedic philosophies would tell us is to your point earlier about, you know, why are we here? And and I really have come to accept and believe, inclined to really be some more supportive that, you know, we are here for the evolution of the soul. You know, our our assignment here, our purpose is to improve our spiritual qualities. And so, even in spite of the fact, or in light of the fact that maybe there are aliens here, maybe right. there are interdimensional beings, maybe there are multi-dimensional beings, maybe there are thirty different dimensions going on right here, right now. Right, and maybe it is true that the that the Dogon have a history, a recorded history of alien encounters that go back eighty thousand years, and the Nomos taught them all these advanced things. But he says, you know, although those things are really great and they're nice to know, but at the end of the day, he would say anything that's not from here cannot hurt you. So he says, don't be concerned. You know, there's other dimensions, there's other entities. If they're not from this reality, you, we're kind of shielded and insulated from that. But he said, but also don't be so focused on that. You get so distracted that you stop developing your spiritual qualities, which is why we're here. Right. You know, there are cultures of the Dogon or other tribes in Mali, West Africa. I think this gentleman in a book called uh, Of Water and Spirit, his name was uh, Somme. But he came and he shared some more of the uh, another Dogon 
tribes perspectives but he, you know he talks about cultures over there in our comedic motherland where still to this day you know they they realize the importance of their spiritual development and like here in the west you know we reserve certain days to meditate we go maybe work out 15 20 minutes or an hour in the morning uh for a fitness and maybe you might go to a church or whatever a synagogue on wednesday and then a church service on sunday but we spend maybe 10, 15% of our wake life in spiritual practice. But our comedic and the indigenous people, and it's not just, just comedic, but also we'll just call them indigenous. You know, they spend, and this one, like uh, in uh, Somay's book, she says that they spend 70% of their life is in this space of developing their spiritual qualities. Just 30% is out there because they got to pay bills, they got to work, right. they got to chop wood and carry water, but they spend 70% in that space that nurture your spiritual evolution, your spiritual development. Whereas over here, it's just, we flip the script, you know, Hollywood and being business and the whole idea of capitalism keeps us so engaged that, you know, that's yep. something to do on the side. Exactly. We got a little so, backwards. That's what I was saying about your business. Like I was saying the way we, that's why basically what I was saying is like, you're talking about, you, about, you're trying to do what you want to do, but you know, for your job goals, I was just saying, yeah, when you're working for other people, you know, you got to play by their skills and rules. You just can't really, you have to go around with what they want you to do other than what you really want to do. You know what I'm saying? So if you can make that, do what you want to really want to do, <laughs> your schedule will be changing day and night. You better spend time doing things you want to do and be able to make your amount of money you want to do so you can pay your bills and go and do the things you basically want to do in life. Yeah, Unfortunately, like America is obvious. Yeah, that's capitalism, you know. Right. The thing about capitalism, you, you got to have capital. Right. <laughs> but it's good to have capital. I'm saying for, but like I said, it takes so much of your time. It's kind of like a part of distraction as well. It is. You, you spend we so much time. Born to do this. No. You know, God bless the people that can be in that space and do it. Exactly. Uh, you know, and I'm hoping to get there one day when I'll retire. I'm going right. to be doing stuff like this because I love doing it. Exactly. You know, whether I make a dime or no dime, even through the years, you know, I would, that, that, that vocation, uh, well, I'd say that occupation, uh, I did the distinction. Right. That's what I do to create funds to create this lifestyle. That's right. my occupation. But my vocation, this is what my vocation would be. Exactly. And so if you, you can enjoy doing where you can marry your vocation and your occupation, man, that's, is that, right. that's the life. That's, the that's life. what I say. Cause I also think you can get paid doing this, what you're doing. As well, that'd be very, that'd be even better, because it because no, 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 no uh, stress, you no know, like capitalism, but a lot of stress. You, you can't like a, especially like a slave. That's basically what you you like slave in the system. Well, you know, you, you and you're more right, and I am working because I I had a pro I just I have a problem asking people for money, and I have a problem just relying on other people. I just thought this my dad's old school like that, but right. I'm the reality of it is is I to be in this space and contribute if i had the means to monetize and do it then i would have been in this space a long time ago you know yeah. i got a, my my youngest son he's got one more year of college i'm not going to quit my job right because i'm not he's not going i'm I, he i'm going to do what i got to do to keep paying the bills to keep him in school i'm not going right. to fail him so i can't be in this space but you know if i had if if this space or if like a format like this was providing enough that those needs are being met and paying for this roof over my head, right. 
but I didn't do it quite right. People like you are a lot brighter than I am. Y'all figured it out a lot sooner. And now I'm trying to, with, I'm working on it now. I still work. I'm off today, but I got an outside job, but I'm working okay. on doing something I enjoy doing, figure out what to, to make income than what I'm doing. And so that's why I say I do podcasts and things because I don't want to be much never really want to be working for somebody else. So work for somebody that's else. And, you know, you, you fulfill somebody, somebody told you fulfill somebody else's dream and not your dream. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's what I want to be. About a year and a half from now, I want to be in that space where maybe I'll I'll have my YouTube, my TikTok, my Facebook, my Instagram, but all of that kind of coming together and maybe with a small subscription base, it wouldn't take much. No. Just be support so I can stay in that space and not right. be so distracted so i can be like we're just i can be that 70 percent focusing on right. that and just like you and then sharing that content and maybe now right. with social media being what it is i know, think you could do it because you got enough um you got enough people in contacts that you can use to help build your platform since you know a lot of people personally that a lot of people can get access to well you know this is a really kind of finding um you know, two months ago or so, I did that interview on Billy Carson's Forbidden Knowledge channel. Right. And uh, I talked to Roderick Martin, you know, over the holidays. And uh, he, he he's kind of really, really, and it helped him in his show. Right. You know, he's really been impressed with about the response. And I had to take note, you know, at the time, I think this is like the day after New Year's or no, before New Year's, he was on his way to Billy's house for celebrate New Year's there. But he said, I just want you to know that that video's got, uh 270,000 views over a quarter of a million views yep so the one i saw you on well i did i've been three now but i think that, that might have been i'm not sure which of the three you had well, seen. i saw the one that you did like a couple of weeks ago that's like remember i'm on a college and told you about that interview that you did yes um who was that one with that was with um well i did three with roger martin now he called okay. me, you know, the last yeah, one I did was maybe a few weeks ago, but it was yeah. a small cameo, and he was, the last one, he just called me and asked me if I would just be contributing. He was interviewing somebody else, but he asked me if I would come in and share. But uh, the first one, he had me with my bishop robe on and had a picture of an alien, like a reptilian. Right. And, I ain't going to check that one out. I ain't know you was on the show that many times. I'm going to check it out. That was your third oh, time? Yeah. It was nine. Yeah, I'm that one. Another one. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, I had a few interviews, but, you know, I would love to be able just to share that. But the, the key thing in, in saying that is not that I'm confused about the big science of big numbers of jumbo right. but it was interesting was uh, I, I really was on the, you know, kind of like reserved and I wasn't trying to be out there with anything. Right. But um, other than I do what I do and I, the circles I run in, but what it did show me and him is that there is a pretty large appetite for that, for that number of people to have seen it. I mean, I think it, I think it outperformed even the majority of uh, Billy Carson's own videos on his yeah. own net. You know, it is, it's a big appetite for what you have to, especially when, but one thing I, I know is a big appetite is the, let's face it. When it comes to anything like from television to real life, you don't see too many black people talking about Bigfoot aliens. It's a very small group. And just most time you see white people talking about aliens, UFOs, yeah. spirits. But when you see black person who look different, like look at yourself, you don't look not like the average. You don't dress like um, today's average black person. You don't care. You carry yourself as more of an old fashioned, traditional type of guy. You know what I'm saying? Level headed, not no thug, not no no nothing. You see something you see on TV. <laughs> That's not the way you dress. But 
you you had this a thing about you where you carry yourself different, but you don't see too many black people on YouTube or any platform on television talking too much about these type of things or witnessing. I mean, county think a lot of black people think, well, there ain't no black people seeing it. Oh, no, the number of white people. I just think even on TV, you nine times out of ten, you expect somebody white seeing stuff like that or talking about things like that. Yeah. Most black people in today's society don't have interest in it. But there are some out there, don't get me wrong. I think there's a group out there, but I don't know what they're going to hear unless they see somebody looking like them talk about it. Other than that, they ain't going to talk about it because people think they're crazy. Well, you're right. And, and that's the, the, the interesting thing about the feedback I was getting. Not, I mean, not only, even I was on Sun Knitter Studios out of New York because they called mm-hmm. they, after they saw my interview, one of my interviews and brought me on Sun Knitter. I didn't know anything about Sun Knitter. But when I, I found out what I had agreed to do, it's like, oh, my God, these guys are going to chew me up and spit me out. These these boys play rough. Yeah. But it turns out to be a great interview. Yeah. Sonera so so is into that, the comedic knowledge and stuff like that. But you got a lot yeah. of people looking at it. But it's hard to find authentic. You know, a lot, a lot of people say, woke it's over. Terminized, you know, what I'm saying a lot of people you know woke is more like a fat type of language terminology. You know, and just and just just calling it being spiritual, wherever it is, you know, I just keep it simple. A lot of people saying, "Woke," you know, "woke" is like a trend. It's kind of like saying "Black Lives Matter" type of thing. To me, it's just like yeah. a trend. People saying "woke" stuff like that and all this stuff. But I do we do understand what it's saying "woke" though. But some people claim "woke" and saying some some outrageous stuff. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, not true. That's, <laughs> you know, for a while I would go back, and and after these interviews, I went back to read the comments. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was my real I, I just wanted to know says okay, did did anything that I say resonate with anybody or was it just a waste of my time? Right. You no, know, or am I really missing the mark? Because I was really expecting a lot of criticisms right. and, and harsh criticisms that that is what I was expecting. Right. But I go back and I, I read the comments. I think it's probably almost three thousand comments on the right. one that I did with uh with Roderick Martin and then even on Sonnetter, you know, I was surprised about how welcoming and and um people embraced the message right. in, in the comments you know even even Roderick Martin would say you know when he looked over the comments coming in on the live stream and the interviews says there there was only one negative comment at all and had nothing to do with right. me probably that, a troll it, yeah probably a well, troll. No, it, what? You know, it was somebody telling him they say Roderick just shut up and let the man talk that was oh okay comment. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's about what it is yeah they want to hear what we had to say yeah so yeah. I'm asking you a question. How long did it take you to ever to move something with your mind? That's what I was wanting to get into. You know, almost immediately. Uh I, I could see it wiggling. Mm-hmm. And you but, but I'm wondering with this, was that me? Was there a draft? Right. You know, was right. that just uh something off my hands? But you know, to the extent that um you're gonna be successful, it took maybe a, a few weeks. Okay. Before and again, I had to put it over something because I just couldn't right. convince myself that anytime I saw a wiggle or it would turn a half away, said, so "Was that me, or is that just like energy from my hands?" You know, or was that? But in a period of two or three weeks, it's kind of like I start started seeing results. Like now, when, when you, when you, now what what do you what do you think when you see the object move? Do you see it moving your mind? And that's how you do it, or do you how you set it up? You know, some people had a mind is very distracted. 
Well, I'll show you here. This is just like a little sticky note, but I'll use it to demonstrate. But okay. I would take a square piece of paper. Uh -huh. And this is how they said in this book called ESP Experiment You Can Do. So uh -huh. this is my first ESP experiment. So you fold it down like this. And then so basically you end up with, you know, a four-sided pyramid. Right. And then. Put on a pencil, head of a pencil. Yeah, no, I, I got to the point that I, I would put it like on a, a, a something really like sharp, like a with a needle. A little needle in the middle, where like a little spindle. Uh -huh. Yeah, so that you, you didn't want to have a lot of surface area, so it wouldn't be, you know, you didn't want to have any, any as little resistance as possible. Okay. The sharper right. the head. And then what I would do is like, I would draw like maybe, whoa, I would draw like a little uh, dot, like on each one of these on this side, and maybe a square. Right. on the opposite side mm -hmm. so when i'm trying to make it spin clockwise i would just focus like I'm, I'm just using energy my mind and i'm just thinking just pushing energy to make right. it go and then as that dot went past i focused on the next one and the next one and the next one and then when i wanted to make it stop i would just withdraw and then if i wanted to make it spin the other way then i would just focus on the square and make it right. spin the opposite way and so there would be times i would say okay how many times can I make it go and stop, go and stop? And then I progress to, okay, let's see if I can make it go clockwise and then stop and now bring it counterclockwise. And over a period of maybe two or three months, you know, about after about the third month, I was at the point where, again, at, at my, my best, I could make it spin 32 times consecutively, you know, in that direction. And you still know I um, do it or you don't do it anymore? I can still do it. I'm. The, I'd have to practice again just to be as proficient. Okay. You know, but I've, I've got I've got one of these in my my work desk over there that's sitting under, you know, glass. It's, like a, right. it, it's under a glass and clock. <clears throat> and so just every once in a while, I'll go over there just to keep the blade sharp to see if I still got it or not, and I'll just go focus on it. You know. Um, but there's some other things that go along with that that people need to do that you can do as a human being too. Uh -huh. And, and, you know, that's just one of the one of the benefits of some of the things we'll call it a benefit, you know, right. doing we'll call it dog and pony tricks. Right. <clears throat> but to the degree that you can do that, then that would tell me that actually you've got some other uh, skills that are practical that you can that you can do that actually are, are more than, you know, not a parlor trick, you know, right. but it tells me if you can do that. Then it tells me that your pineal gland is probably very clear if if you can't do it and you're struggling with it then i can probably tell a few things about your diet i can tell that you're probably you know if, if you're not able to do those types of things there could be physical barriers and boundaries that people aren't aware of because of our ignorance like you what know, and I, i'm glad you brought that's why i said that now we're getting somewhere not like what i'm talking about the diet can you go and break it down where people may want yeah. to be okay yeah you should you should not ever be drinking um any water out of the faucet okay because it, all of the impurities that are in that water and the fluoride now this is i'm not a doctor what about bottled water like uh, bottled water absorbent. is better okay yeah I, I don't you know i, I get mine uh i order from another company but where i would go get filtered water and right. actually I, I live near a place near serpent mound ohio where they have a, a natural aquifer right there on the grounds. Uh -huh. And so I'll go up there every few months and I'll fill up 
five or six five gallon buckets and so i'm drinking natural mineral with natural mineralized aquifer water from serpent mound that water is something special but the point simply being is is you want to keep that fluoride out of your body because that fluoride actually builds up deposits not only in your body and your joints but also it it, it builds up calcium on your pineal gland mm-hmm. what else stuff your, get rid of for your pineal gland basically what are the type of foods i'll show you hold on okay <clears throat> yep y'all so that's why i'm doing interview now i get better understanding the things you can do to clear your mind or clean your pineal gland now i, I think- just finished up uh-huh. another bottle of this but i just had this just come in just early this week but this is probably the best stuff that i've run across and i've been using this for probably 15 years wow it's gate liver oil uh-huh firming uh-huh and what this does is it, it tastes, you know, you can get either capsules. I, I right. just take it straight to the head, you know. Right. Uh, just the, it comes with an eyedropper, right? And all you do is uh, I put it in there and I'll extract it. Uh huh. The range up to about right here. Uh huh. Under your tongue, on top of your tongue. I put it under my tongue and I hold it there for maybe 20, 30 seconds. Uh-huh. And then drink it down. But what this does is, and this is uh, if you go to a, uh, it, this was come from a Dr. Uh, Pete Peterson in an interview he did with Project Camelot, Carrie Cassidy years ago. But he and David Wilcock were talking about this, the concept of the pineal gland. You know, I'm thinking about what Jordan Maskell was talking about when you go to the Vatican. Why is there a big old pine cone in the courtyard at the Vatican? Well, the pine cone is the symbol emblematic of that's what the pineal gland is. And it's sitting right there in a, a, a big two-ton one at the Vatican. The, the significance of the pineal gland right in your face and they hide it. And you think you're looking at a pine cone. No, they're telling you about the esoteric connections, spiritual connections of a human being. At the pineal gland, anytime you see a pine cone, there's even pictures of Inki uh, drawn in pyramids. He's sitting there holding a pineal gland in his hand, not a pine cone. So, so uh, Ben Peterson had said that. Yeah, I found it. I'm a, I'm a Charlie. Found it? Yeah, I'm gonna order me son. Yep. Uh, I see it on certain. Well, I see it on websites called. Uh, um, I see different things. I see one called Zebra Organics. Um, I think I'm gonna call Norish World. You get offline. You get directly from the, the site itself, or you get yours. What website you get yours off of? There's other stuff out there. The best one that I find, and again, this is I've tried them. I've tried all kinds of different ones. Just for me personally, I don't. I get no no credit from this company at all. But it's called Green Pastures. I ordered from GreenPastures.com. Okay, that's why. Okay, it's GreenPastures.com. Okay, I, I see it. And again, it's fermented skate liver oil. They also have cod liver oil, and you can, you know, those things are out there and they're commercially available at any market. You go to Walmart, Kroger, whatever, and you can get cod liver oil, whatever. But if you want to get fermented skate liver oil, this is from what I've experimented with. It's it's the it it it's the pre, it's like 50, 60 bucks a bottle. But one bottle of this would last you, you know, it'd probably take me about six, eight, seven months to go through this whole bottle. Yeah, I see like 35 on some sites. Maybe you can yeah. offer some sites. I don't know if they get a discount how they work on some sites. I see $35 a bottle. 
So to tell people what it is and why it works, I don't, I can't explain to you why it works, but it does dissolve calcium deposits within the body, but then it also would dissolve the calcium that builds up on your pineal gland. So if if people if you're if you're taking in calcium, if you're drinking you know a lot of carbonated beverages, if you're drinking a lot of uh, water that's not clean or purified water, taking in a fluoride, if you brush your teeth with fluoride toothpaste. Fluoride is rat poison. What? Yeah, people don't know that. Fluoride, it would look on the back of a tube of toothpaste and you'll see. I know toothpaste that don't swallow. Yeah, it says, and it says, if you do swallow it, <laughs> do you know what it says to do? Contact the doctor. No, it didn't say Drink call milk. It says called poison control. Oh, yeah. Okay. And yeah, that's important. Yeah, and we tell our kids, we put it in our mouth every day, says, do not use more than a pea size. And if you do, don't call a doctor. Don't go to an emergency room. I it think says it's poison control. I think, I think it's in a mouthwash, some mouthwash too. Yeah. So why would you put something in your body Then they're telling you if you swallow this called poison control? So that that it's, it's in your face. And so yeah. again, I haven't used fluoridated toothpaste in over a decade <clears throat> I, i'll i'll use I, I brush my teeth with i'll put some water in and then i'll put some hydrogen peroxide and then i dip my toothbrush in baking soda old school way and it worked just as clean you can clean yeah. jewelry with baking soda and it cleans yeah. very good it'll shine it up like brand new and get the rust and corrosion off of it and that's old school yeah. and people used to brush the teeth with baking soda really i think baking yeah. soda is the best form of cleaning anything on teeth and most oh, of your toothpaste got baking, baking soda in it anyway. They said, well, it's all kind of stuff clean teeth. Now it's that baking soda. You're not going to find no... All yeah, the it's there. You know, huh? this Tom's toothpaste is probably one of the most popular. Tom's toothpaste. And now that you got a few more options, you can buy toothpaste from, you know, from big manufacturers that are that do not contain fluoride. And I think Tom's toothpaste is one of the more popular ones. You just, yeah. you know, yes. But don't put fluoride in your body. You know, I, use, it, I think I got Sprite. Toothpaste, S P R Y, Spry, uh, toothpaste. I don't think I got no fluoride. I got to check. Now they got a lot of stuff we got. I get, I get it at a granary and stuff. Hold on, really see. It's like I get it. Hold on. Uh, yeah, they got no fluoride in. Um, they got estol. I don't know how good estol is. If it's bad or not. Um, Spry. Can't see it, but okay. it don't got no fluoride. It said fluoride free. Um, well, yeah. it got it got where it is, and aloe. Well, yeah. the key thing I would say, and particularly if I'm going to, it's you know, endorse this, you know, uh, is that this skate liver oil from, and this has come from Dr. Ben Peterson's from his interview on Project Camelot, right. uh, and he looked inside some of these black ops where people did some of these things. And he said, this is the best stuff you can get, That his recommendation. And skate liver oil means that it comes from a skate fish. Okay. So basically, these, these are come from cartilages like, like manta ray, manta ray fish, that type of fish. That's what skate liver oil is, as opposed to cod liver oil, which is just a cod fish. But he says both are good. But he says the skate liver oil is the best as far as dissolving the, the calcium deposits throughout your body and on your pineal gland. And so I mentioned that because... For those of you, if you're really interested in accelerating your um, your experiences, in yeah, some I'm looking at 
I'm looking at good for everything. Brain, brain, it basically is good for every organ of your body. Yeah. And I'm just going to summarize. You got the brain, the joints, the teeth, the muscles, the heart, and the eyes. That's basically your whole body, basically, when it breaks yeah. down to everything. And so people I, will start, you'll start having um, what they call lucid dreaming. Right. That's one of the signs that, okay, you're you're getting there because that's your spiritual antenna. You're going to find that you're going to start attracting and dialing in. And you'll find, <sighs> the extent, you know, and maybe for the first two or three weeks, you maybe just take one or two applications in a day. And then right. as you as you get forward and you, you know, when you've eliminated most of the um, calcium from your pineal gland, like me, I probably only do this maybe once every every week or every other week. Or okay, you don't really, take that much. You don't. You don't take that much. But if I'm giving you to do some heavy lifting, you know, if I if I'm going to be doing some heavy spiritual practice, or I'm I'm trying to get really focused and centered, then I'll pra- I'll just do it every day. I've got certain things that I take every day, and so if I if I said okay, I just need to get into a space where I I've got to be able to send and receive. Right. Then I'll do it. I'll do it on the daily. So doing about so do it every day or once a week or twice a week or it all depends on what you're trying to do. Well, if you're yeah, just trying yeah. to get a, Let's just say you're just trying to get started where your pineal gland is open. Uh, you're trying to clean yourself. Or how, how often would you do it just to get your body in tune? Yeah, I would do it twice a day for probably two weeks. And then okay. just to see where you're at. You know, and then after that, you can just do it once in the once a day. And then once you kind of get to that spot where, okay, you're fairly clean, then it's just a matter of maintenance. And once okay. a week, you know, this is like what David Wilcock, what he would say, you know, in that interview. He's because he he uses it as well. And he says now he he was just on a maintenance regime where maybe he would just do it just once a week. Right. Just like a little tune up. Yeah. Right. All right, Mr. Daryl Nichols. Thank you for your interview, man. Thank you for sharing your information, your knowledge, your wisdom. And thank you for sharing about the skate oil. Cause I never heard of it. So uh maybe I'll post links so people can get to the skate oil where they can open up their mind and pinnacle gland and able to type into their spirituality because it could be it could yeah. be something besides the foods and maybe not just the food but also what we've been fed from what we see on tv because we're probably stopping us from reaching our true potential of 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 who we are or, or getting connected to anything because like i said society food television is probably clogging up our judgment of who we really are or for or be able to stop us to be able to fine tune because a lot of people have a hard time to focus and get through things went through life no just everyday things they mind hard to focus and shift and that may be a key to to be able to having people mind open the shift to things in life to overcomes of the mindset of what's going on you know by opening up those glands and I guarantee that's a lot of probably some food and stuff is probably a reason for a lot of uh blockers of of being free from uh society of stress and able to see things they want to see. And I don't know if you agree with that or not. <laughs> that's my opinion. I strongly agree because yeah. I mean that's your spiritual container. So if, if you're not able to send messages out, if you're not able to receive the information, you know, mm-hmm. this is what again from the Dogon perspective. He mm-hmm. says that every human being, you know, there are two energy channels on the planet and and we're so busy running around. It's kind of hard. And the planet is trying to get energy out through us like it like, goes up through like, a tree. Like it's called we call it grounding. It's grounding yourself. You, you, when you well, thank yourself, we got to ground where they can flow through you. 
Yeah, it, it, it actually got more specific from the comedic. They said, no, there's two, the energy channels are ancient. And one is called the Bayouali. And that's the energy that's trying to go from the earth as a consciousness. Right she's yeah. talking to all of her sisters. And then mm -hmm. the other energy channel is the Yenu. And that's the energy where everything else from the cosmos is talking to us and through us and to the planet. But once you have a blockage, Mm -hmm. If the message can't come out, if they if if when you get so contaminated or blocked that your channels are blocked, then the Bayoli can't go out and the Yinu can't come in. Then what the, happens is the existence just programs you for destruction. So we like it's, a TV set with, with antennas. That's just that's a figure of speech. We receive yes. messages and, and we interpret the message that we see. But if our antenna's not working, we can't receive. And we can't project back out, but we. Can, I think, that, I think, you know, I think we work both ways, though. You know, we can send it and receive. Exactly. So we want to keep that channel open because once you become that, if you're not useful, you know, just like the trees in my yard, you you're know, in a few weeks, I'm going to be out here picking up all kinds of dead branches because the biology didn't get out and the Yenu couldn't get in. So nature just programmed it for destruction, right? And they fall off. I had a guy come yesterday. He's offering to cut two of my trees down because they're dead. Mm -hmm. that's what in our pineal gland once the energy can't come up or come in then nature existence just programs you for destruction so keep that clean so that you don't invite your own destruction yep <laughs> and so we also can, can filter out the bad information because sometimes you get bad information like if you get trapped yeah like germs and viruses you got to push that stuff out i think also kind of like deleting information in like you perceive bad from that also you think you can just uh you know sort sort the good from the bad information yeah, and there's so out, much misinformation out there now it's hard to it's hard to know what to believe yeah it's know? true so that we need to have that clean so our our spiritual discernment is sharp you know and you know we need more and more people in this space you know and it feels facilitating these conversations because a lot of people want to wake up or they want to be involved they want to be That's engaged hard. but they don't they don't know how they and don't hard yeah and i think it's sometimes like i said i think sometimes it's also some blockers too it's kind of like you know it's kind of like you're trying to you, you sometimes in life you feel like you're there but you just can't quite get through you're you right. know what i'm saying i think we all been there before like we ran at the tip before but something yeah. just holding us back like you trash for shit something something pushing you best i didn't think this thing i want to see see what it is <laughs> so i hurt myself yeah, i call it cognitive you know most people just cognitive dissonance right you know just to believe something in spite of evidence to the contrary, because some of it is so far removed, you know, and it's hard to get like where you're at. It, you know, you just didn't get there and you just can't have a 10 minute conversation with somebody and right. have them go from here to where you're at. You know, you got to get them in steps, but, you know, you, they got to be in some kind of condition to where they can receive. Right. And also you know? repetition, repetition hip does it too. Just like lift, like rep, yeah. lifting weights. Sometimes repetition make it easier. Like you lift some, keep doing, doing it. The repetition will, will will also make it things easier and easier as you go. You're you right. Muscle practice. Practice makes practice. It ain't always easy. Sometimes you got to push yourself to do things even when it ain't easy. Yeah. And that's so I just want to say just thank you. And you know, my I would just say for people, it is an amazing existence and it's an amazing opportunity that we have in front of us here to be here now. You're right. I appreciate you for having me on your program to share well, with people. Well, thank you for sharing your 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 experiences and, and things that you have shared from other people and learned from other people as well. Everything flows in a circle. You know, we learn from each other. 
pass on information there. People can go back and look look up some of the information or look up some of the things that you had mentioned and go back and see for yourself what you're talking about. Uh, you know, uh, what book is that you kept talking about? You keep held held on up. What's the name of that book? Um, the Dogon. Yeah, the Dogon yes. Philosophy Podium. Yep, the Philosophy Podium Dogon. Yep. And people, oh, but we can stop up. there. You know, we can go back to like the the Emerald Tablets. Emerald Tablet. <laughs> the, the, I got the those. I got those. I got them right now. Hey, you hear me? The last book, yeah. I got that right now. I, I got it on my uh, which card? I, I was gonna walk on and pull it up and just lift it up to you, but well, yeah. I didn't know where we was gonna go because I was trying. I, to I listen, I had that book. We can talk about the book of Inky later, later on. I ain't sure you want to get into that though, but like I said, I was trying to answer you. I tried to get you to say it, but I, I shouldn't have worded it right. So, man, let's talk about where the connection. Well, I didn't know how advanced your audience <laughs> is. Hey, you know, I don't care where they at, we can go there after and say, Where did this go between aliens? Oh, and people, oh, but I guess you were reserved. So, okay, well, I didn't get that answer I'm looking for because I think you, I said maybe we take a baby steps because I'm trying for to say, Hey, how are oh, oh, UFOs well, we and people are we connected? Because I think oh, we, we could have gone through the UFOs in the Bagavita, we could have talked about ancient civilization. You know what? We, we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about the inky book, we're gonna talk about that, we're gonna talk about the engineering of humans and aliens. And I think, and I think, the, the, uh, what, what has it is that not only we cross between aliens and another and, and and mammals, is that that divine spark you were talking about. And I think that's what got people different is the divine spark that we have in the creation because we are even right, though we well, mammals. I know where you can go. Oh, okay, yeah, which where we gonna go? I think even though we are, we, I think we cross believe we cross between aliens and mammals that we have the divine spark to other mammals. Beings don't have, yeah, like you said, some beings well, don't have the divine spark. So I said, okay, man, I, like, so I, I, I didn't know. I tried to get that. I tried to get that. But I, I didn't know how far you wanted to go, so I stayed oh, up one on one. But we, we, we could have gone time, to four point four. Yeah, we are going four. That's why I said we're trying to get to the magic for us. Okay, because I think all right. Because I believe. Let's go and get out the way, and we're gonna talk about this time. I believe that the aliens, Inky and Neil, I do believe they had that what we call Star Wars. Ability. Oh, yeah. I think aliens can talk though ESP. I think like some of them, not all of them, just like people. I think some have the ability to move objects with their mind. Now I know that's a whole new story. Yeah, yeah, they can do that. They can walk through walls, they can materialize, exactly. and, materialize. and we and we and we can too if we know how to unlock who we really are. But a lot of people mm -hmm. think we don't even. A lot of people don't even know we we even engineered. They think we made some something. Oh, they, you know, a lot of people talk about the biblical, even though the biblical is encoded. But the, we know the Bible is not fully true, where it's been tampered with. We know it's tampered. We, we know it's tampered. With. That's why you can pull from different sources. You know, you can pull from different sources from the Bible to other spiritual books. A lot of it does have some parallel meanings to it, but you also want. You like sometimes when you bring stuff from the biblical point, you can basically explain to people without them being offended, right? <clears throat> but a lot of people well, don't understand. I just acquired last month. This Bible mm -hmm. was printed in the late 1700s. You know, right. it's very difficult to find a Bible that actually still has all of the apocryphal text in it. Well, you're hold on, what book, what, what book that made in? It's 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 English, but again, they're hard to what find. Year? They thought they burned what, them all. What year? What year is that? Seventeen ninety six. We're gonna talk about that book because I don't have that book. That's before it's King James. 
That's before King James. That's before King James. Everybody said, hey, who's going to throw these books out. out? They threw a lot of books. Yeah. That was more insistent because it was talking about aliens and UFOs. And they threw them out. They yeah, it's got them. some of those ancient hidden texts that actually they became <clears throat> the banned books of the Bible. You couldn't yeah. pick them out. And now, you, I, don't, and I, don't, I, I know that Bible you got is worth more than a couple of grand because mm -hmm. they, they kind yeah, of locked rare. it up and burned them away. You ain't gonna find it. You might find it. You might find it in a museum somewhere. Yeah, but I just got that. Take no picture of it. Well, we're gonna yeah. talk about that, man. Daryl Nick, this time we we're going to go ahead and go full blast into the crossbreeds of humans and aliens. But even though right. I, I, even though I, we are here, I think there's still another reason why we're here. Besides, we know we we know. Okay, like me and you, we know that we're engineered, but. That don't mean that's our only purpose. We, you know, we, no. mining for gold and stuff, that's good. But the fact that we have that divine spark, it doesn't make us different. You know, coming from. And that's part of the problem. <clears throat> that's part of our, that's part of our condition mm -hmm. uh, that makes it special and unique. And, and begin, you know, on the premise that there are multiple interests here, not just mm -hmm. one. And there are multiple dimensions. Right. And there may be, you know, the people from Atlantis may still be here. from you, <clears throat> uh, Lemuria. But our place varies between just depending on from whose perspective are you looking at us from. Uh -huh. But then even from their perspective, as fascinating that it may be, and even if right. they do have different agendas, that, those agendas may have absolutely nothing to do with ultimately where we're going. Right. Like I said, a lot of people, we're going to talk about what the divine spark is too. The divine spark put us in a place other than it's physical yeah which i like the scripture now you conclude on this you know i right. said that some of the interviews and people thought they really had me in a bind uh -huh. but i said you know everything that's in my bible is not everything i need to know it's and true. I, I, I tell them the story of how even when jesus when the uh in the story the parable they talk about when the pharisees was challenging him about right. who he said he was and jesus said well uh, does not your law say that ye are gods that's it Right. People get me in a bind because you can't find that in the law in the King James Version of the Bible. Took it out. I said, Jesus said that, and he said, does not your law say? Now, there is a passage in Psalms that right. says, ye are gods. But but I think Jesus would know the difference between the Psalm and the law. The law of right. the first folks. You're right. That's what you're trying to get at when I said yeah. I, I didn't quite understand what you were meaning by that, but now I understand. Yeah, Psalms are just like songs a poetry or something. Yeah, right. but that's not what Jesus said. He says, isn't that it's written in your law? So now you got to go outside the Bible to go find out where Jesus was talking about, which means now I got to go back two or 3,000 years and see what was Jesus reading that I don't have. They ain't locked for that. But, these other texts. but the average people, don't, average people don't do that because they don't study anything. They just go about the past to say, which is yeah. dumb. You know, Bible was the, the only book that most people claim Bible's the only the strangest thing in life that people claim to believe in, like I used to, but do no study. That's like going to college and having a, a history, having a book, and think you're gonna pass the test and you ain't even read the book, but you want a degree just because you got the book. He said, I believe in physics, yeah. but you don't read the physic book. That is that is a strange. No, I even tell people, even in the That's church, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. My church is that if you're gonna put all your salvation on the Bible and you're gonna put all your salvation on Jesus you know? Christ. So, well, you at least ought to figure out to say his name right. 
because there was no J in the Hebrew language. And really? so it was uh J, yeah, the J alphabet didn't even exist. I think it was like an H. I don't know if it was that. It yeah, like yeah, E or something. Joshua. Yeah. I, should, yeah, I think it was like E-I-O-U. Vowels, I don't think we had at the at the thing at the time. I don't think we have a lot of 22 no. alphabets. We didn't. Yeah, just 22 yeah, like, letters. But I just tell people that if you really believe that, then where did you learn that that's his name? And then if you did know that it was his name, it's just like me. If you were walking down the street and you say, hey, Gary, I'm not going to turn around. He says, you can say, hey, Jesus, well, you know, maybe that's what you know him as. But that's not his name. No, yeah. That's no I, I told so you. At least if you're going to put your eternity on it, at right. least get the, get the man's name right. That's why I told hey, people. I told, I told two people. I told people. I asked people about religion. I said, first off, we know the Messiah, was, I believe it was more than one, wasn't white. or uh, He was dark. The Catholics know he was dark. They got a black baby. They got black Mary. But they hit that in, in, in over there. And they across over there. They know Jesus was black. They got a black baby, Jesus, and black Mary. The Catholic mm-hmm. Church knows that, but they're not going to tell you that. The people who's at the top knows it. And the funny thing about it, they know that ain't exactly. They know his name wasn't that. So, so, so I said, well, I like just saying something. If you don't know a person's name and what they look like, how you get in contact with them? I, I just answer a simple question. How you how you, how they go how, how you if you have not do with the person real name or what the person really look like how can you have a personal relationship with something you have no idea who they are and what they really look like you just, you just can't yeah and the problem I is be real they just don't know what they've been told and they only know what they've been exposed to now I know right. that maybe in a spiritual sense if I say the name Jesus I know I'm identifying with this character that I've read about so right. I understand what people says well it's not it's really not important because. You know, God knows who I'm talking about. But at, right. at the same time, when I said, if you're going to place all of your faith and your immortality on it, you know, wouldn't you want to know? There's too much on the line. Name right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It makes sense. Too much on the line. If you go live somewhere in this paradise or this hell with burning fire that you believe in, it's just too much on yeah. lot and state. Plus, you said tomorrow ain't problems for nobody. So you really don't got a whole lot of time to be playing around. <laughs> it just don't make no sense. That's what they say. I used to be at a religious thing. I used to be Baptist and stuff, and I got out of that mindset. But Mr. Uh, Daryl Knuckles, Nichols, we will talk about, we will get back to the book of Inky. We will go put the title. Let's talk about the book of Inky, what you learn, uh, the relationship between aliens and humans, and how we coexist and what relationship. We are, we're just going to put it there. We don't. I don't care what people think. I don't want people to think we're crazy. Who cares? You know, stuff like that gets attention. Normal, normal, normality is boring now. It's a lot of people. <laughs> it became boring. You're right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. The we're truth, normal don't cite people anymore. That's where the truth is a lot more interesting. Right. Even if it ain't true, it's more interesting. Anything either abnormal, if it's true, ain't true, is a lot more interesting than what people have been hearing because it, it gets dull. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of like, you know, this is Sophia Stewart's book that, you know, her. her <laughs> which one you got? The, which one you got with number four? Matrix Four, yeah. You read, all, on you read the whole book. You got all three four. of them, all four. Yeah, yeah. At some point, and just say the point. Just be unplugged. Not everybody's ready to be unplugged. Yeah, it is. This is like a matrix. I ain't know if you know much about the matrices, but we'll talk about that too. But we'll talk about Inky first because that's that's the whole different timeline. All right, Mister right. Daryl Nichols. This is gonna be our part one of the interview, and we'll do another one later on. And you see my UFO right, in the back. Thank you, sir. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for tuning in watching your journey with Andrew Love. And next time, we're going to get some more juicy things. This is more of a background thing. I guess we're going to look at it like that. Some very subtle stuff. 
easy fall on. Probably boring to some people. I don't care. But we always talk about things that y'all go get mad and baffle about. I don't believe in aliens. So yes. So thank you. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, Daryl. You got all. See you, everybody later. Thank you. you. Got all. Thank y'all. Thank you for tuning in. And y'all be blessed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Here we go.